This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. Mark Congleton here, your sometimes humble host for this daily dose of observation, insight, and absurdity. Hoping you and yours are well. If you're in uh, the Birmingham, Alabama area, I hope all is well with you today. Because we had tornadoes last night. Life got very, very bumpy around here, and it was fatal for some. In Fultondale, which is just outside the city limits, it's one of the suburbs, one of the bedroom communities around Birmingham, Alabama. I'll let you look that term up. The, uh, the, the night became, became rough. It became horrible. People were hiding in their crawl spaces and basements and safe spots. And um, from what I can gather so far... It looks like we had uh, one fatality. Uh, school uh, Schools are closed in the area from damages. There are restaurants that have been damaged. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened in the in the last 24 hours. Last night late, um, there was a uh, there was a warning issued. I'm trying to get back to the story that I had originally here. I, I went exploring afterwards. I saw this one story coming from Fox News. And I thought, let me check some local sources to find better information. And local sources are a little on the sketchy side as far as all of the information is concerned. But at least one person has died. Um, The National Weather Service in Birmingham said the severe storm impacted the Fultondale area of Jefferson County. It caused significant damage. They said that they'd be inspecting the damage to determine the strength of the tornado. Uh, Fultondale Police Chief D.P. Smith said a young man was killed when he was trapped in the basement of his home. The family had taken shelter in the basement. It appears a tree fell on the home and caused the house to collapse in on them. Uh, Videos and pictures on social media captured a lot of the devastation that's happened. Of course, with the light of day coming, we will see more around here. And I am sad to say that this is... Not an unusual thing for us. Every year we have here in this area, we have uh, tornado season. You know, the people in the in the uh, Caribbean have hurricane season. We have tornado season, and um, it's it's a rough time. Um, it's a rough time for us because there's a lot of destruction. There's death. Several years ago, my wife and I, my wife Jane and I, were uh, we had a trip planned. We were going on a cruise. And um, we we had heard the weather reports. We heard that things were getting rough. Uh, the projected line, the path of the tornado was literally moments from our home. Um, we live just across the county line, north of uh, north of Jefferson County, which is the county where Birmingham is. We live just across the county line in Blunt County and just south of us we live in a little well we live in the very edge of a town called remlap i know it's weird it's palmer backwards there's a story i'll tell you someday but just south of us is palmer dale palmer remlap there's palmer dale and that line went right through palmer dale and i'm talking how far away is that that's uh that's uh three miles from us something like that as the crow flies and uh, 
We heard it was going to be bad. We heard uh, there was a lot of thunder, a lot of lightning, a lot of noise that night. And then the next morning we got up very early before daylight, took off to the airport uh, before, you know, the news was actually hot for the morning. And in Atlanta, at our layover in Atlanta, we sat in the Atlanta airport leaning towards the TVs in the airport, watching the news coverage and the footage from minutes away from our house where the uh, tornadoes had come through. It, it was it was a bizarre experience. It's, so, as I say, this is something that is normal for us. It's normal. Isn't it strange to call something that, like that normal? But it is nature. It is, uh, it is a power that we cannot control, and it is humbling, and we should treat it as such. And when people come on the air and interrupt your favorite TV show to warn you, instead of complaining like a child you should stop everything and pay attention to what they say. Even if the tornado they're warning you about is miles and miles away from you and it's not traveling in your direction, you should have the maturity to recognize the fact that, doggone it, this is going to affect some people even if it doesn't affect you. And you need to just shut up. Seriously, you do. A good friend of mine is a meteorologist. He actually may be on television where you are, regardless of where you listen. Uh, his name is James Spann, and uh, he's been a friend for quite some time, and he is always very kind to me. He's actively working in television. He's actively uh, working in the media, and uh, and I'm, that's, you know, that's that's my history, my past, and, and he, every time I see him, he, he mocks my voice. Hey, hello, Mr. Congleton. And he, and he, and uh, he jokes around with me and we, uh, we enjoy a few minutes of just camaraderie. He's a great guy. And, um, I know he was busy last night and he, one of the things that he posts about on, on Facebook and Twitter, social media every day. And every time there are severe storms, I should say, is, uh, the fact that people, send him get on his twitter feed and just and they curse at him and they condemn him and they scream get off my television and he's he's trying to warn people you need to go to your safe place you need to you need to prepare your family you need to do these things because this danger is coming towards you and people are more concerned about the football game or the basketball game or their soap opera or whatever than they are listening to what this man is trying to do to warn people to prevent people from dying because that's literally what he's trying to do. He's trying to save lives. And people are so, so childish that all they can think of is getting back to their sports or their, their movie or their, their soap opera. That's all they can think about. It's just, it's just mind-boggling to me. But this is life today. We live in a society of people who don't, have a grip on the reality of the world around them. And they're angry when things are uncomfortable for them or they don't get what they want. I mean, stop and think about it. One guy gets on Twitter and curses out a weatherman for trying to save the lives of people in his viewing area. And another person gets out of their car at a drive-thru and walks into a Wendy's or a McDonald's or something and begins to tear the place up because the fries were wrong. What kind of a world do we live in today? We live in a world which has been, has been reduced to, to being infantile, to being childish, 
because we have a certain group of people who has made it their purpose in life to care for those people as though they are children. They treat them like they're children, and hence they become children. Big, grown-up, stupid children. And we see it happen every single day. And yet, we fail to recognize the fact that the reason this is happening is because certain people feel like it is their responsibility to shepherd the rest of us because we're too dumb to take care of ourselves. And you may be thinking, well, didn't those people just prove they were too dumb to take care of themselves by cursing out the weatherman and by tearing up a McDonald's or a Wendy's? Not necessarily. What they've proved is that they have become that way because of the shepherding. They have not learned to stand on their own. They have not learned to reason. They have not learned to do critical thinking. They have not learned some basic skills which are necessary just to cope with life, just everyday life. And when things don't go their way, they get hacked off and they attack somebody. It reminds me of of a situation I see on a regular basis at family gatherings. We have because we have we have nieces and nephews that have little bitty kids now and it's kind of the, it's almost the grandparent syndrome now we're not going to have grandchildren so that's something we've just resigned ourselves to so the nieces and nephews kind of fill that void for us the with the, with the, the biddies the little bitty babies and so we'll be over for a, a gathering a family gathering at a holiday or a birthday or something like that and there are all these little ones and when they don't get their way they scream and they wail and they cry and and it can be as simple as as not being able to sit in exactly the same spot as another one of the children is or one of them who's a little bigger can climb up in a chair and and get up a little higher and sit and then the other one baby sister or baby brother comes along and can't quite get up in the chair and the whole world falls apart for them because and the, it's all it's all injustice. It's all unfair. It's all just so, it's so unfair. My life is not worth living. And they cry and they wail and they moan until somebody comes by and picks them up and puts them in the chair. And, and one of the things is that they realize, they learn after being picked up and put in the chair a few times, well, if I cry and I wail and I moan, I get what I want. And so we have a whole segment of our society now that has learned to cry and scream and wail and get what they want because there are politicians who make it their life work to make sure those people get what they want because as long as those people get what they want, those people vote for those politicians to keep getting what they want. And so here we are. We live in a world, in a society, where people sit in a coffee shop and condemn everyone who disagrees with them using mobile devices they would not have if it were not for those people they are condemning and the society that those people uphold. It's, it's just a bizarre situation. And they refuse to learn from the history we have, and those who are the shepherds are making sure that that history is getting harder and harder to find so that we won't learn from our history but we can learn from that history that we have that whenever we get to this point and we in our world's history and we allow others to do that, to shepherd a society, 
once those people have that authority and power, they don't give it up. They just don't. And they will actually destroy some of the tools they used to get where they are. If you look at some of the the Soviets, the, the Soviet republics, the the uh, the communist countries, the socialist countries, one of the first casualties of them coming to power is the free press. And so the Jim Acostas of the world, these people who condemn the people they disagree with, if they get unhappy with the new leadership and do the same thing, they'll find themselves unemployed, unemployable. And if they continue raising a ruckus about them, you may not find them at all. Because that is the history and the pattern of socialism, communism, leftism. So today, I start off by talking about a tornado that has wreaked havoc here. And the people who object to being warned about the tornado, because they're so spoiled, so rotten, so childish, that they can't see past their own pleasure and their own comfort for the sake of the well-being of other people. And the reason that happens is because we live in a spoiled, rotten society. And a spoiled, rotten society eventually comes to the point where it enjoys being spoiled, rotten, and it, it defends being spoiled, rotten, and it elects people who will continue to spoil them, rotten. And there we have an opening segment for a Tuesday the 26th of January, 2021. Still to come on this podcast, Twitter has initiated something called Birdwatch. We'll look at that. Twitter has banned someone and has banned a handful of high-profile conservatives. We'll take a look at that. The office of the former president has been created by former President Trump. People aren't happy. And guess who the highest paid person on the government payroll is today? That's all coming your way as the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, January 26, 2021 continues. You're listening to the Daily Perspective Podcast. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. I was just scanning through uh, Twitter here trying to find something which I'm not finding (laughs) because I wanted to read it to you and quote it directly instead of paraphrasing it. Um, I mentioned James Spann in the first segment. He's my friend who's a meteorologist, and he's he's all over the place. He's not just here in Birmingham. He does weather for radio stations all over the country and he is um, he is the chief meteorologist for the ABC affiliate here in Birmingham and on Twitter this morning he actually posted well thank goodness I didn't have to interrupt insert program name here to give you weather updates and he, he did that because people condemn him for interrupting their programming to save lives It's just insane. It's just 
It's just lunacy, absolute lunacy. But it happens. And the the and I realize, you know, I realize because of cable and uh, and other services that a particular television station's signal spreads a lot farther than it normally would as a broadcast signal. Um, so people in outlying fringe areas get to see that particular TV station crystal clear when they wouldn't normally be able to do so. So they'd have to find some other way to get that particular network affiliate. But And, and as a result, the weather forecast may not completely cover them accurately, but just because you aren't personally affected doesn't mean that there aren't hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in an area which are going to be affected. They're going to be affected. So you should just shut up. <laughs> you know, you should just shut up <laughs> because <laughs> there are people who are trying to save lives, absolutely trying to save lives. It's just, it's just nuts. And now I've got Spans, uh, I've got his uh, Twitter feed up, and I'm searching through it, looking for that post. But yeah, it doesn't matter. I've made my point now. But that's the life we have today. People so dumb that they object to people interrupting television programs in order to save people's lives. That's where we are. We shouldn't be surprised, I guess, surprised, I guess, because we also live in a society where a social media company will ban people for expressing an opinion, an opinion that they disapprove of. Not not kitty porn, not uh, uh, not outright proven lies, but an opinion. Twitter banned Mike Lindell. He's a high profile conservative. And uh, he's, of course, the guy you see on TV and all those MyPillow ads. They panned him because he still believes the election was stolen. As do many people. Many people, if they don't necessarily believe it was stolen, they still have their doubts. As we saw yesterday with Rand Paul. Going face-to-face with, with, uh, with uh, George Stephanopoulos saying that he doesn't believe it's really been investigated, and it should be. And Stephanopoulos standing staunchly on the party line. And the party line is, well, it's been dismissed by all of these people. A, check, it, check them off, A, B, C, D, E. And so that's supposed to mean it never happened. Well, what if, what if they, they said that because it was inconvenient to say otherwise? Or they would they would possibly be implicated in something deeply dishonest, illegal, and damaging otherwise. What if there actually is funny business going on in our government so it protects itself from that kind of investigation? What if the deep state is really not a conspiracy theory? Hmm. So Twitter has banned Mike Lindell for his opinion. They're also doing something which I find is interesting. They've initiated something called Bird Watch. It's a community-based approach to weeding out what they call misinformation. It's a pilot version of a community-based approach 
that will work to develop a system that while they work to develop a system where general users are going to be able to add a note and report on different posts, specifying their opinion if they find something wrong with other with what other people write. Here's what they say. We apply labels and add context to tweets, but we don't want to limit efforts to circumstances where something breaks our rules or receives widespread public attention. We want also want to broaden the range of voices that are part of tackling this problem. And we believe a community-driven approach can help. The name of that pilot system is Birdwatch. Approved contributors will add notes that are viewable to the public on posts they believe are misleading. Birdwatch is in a testing phase, so the notes will be visible on a different web address for now. Hmm. Twitter says that the data will be publicly downloadable in TSV files. Eh. I, I, they say they know it's, it may be messy, it may have problems, but they believe it's a model worth trying. I would suggest that all they've done is to make official something which has been done before. Um, as people who dissent with an opinion or a view express that in the comments, instead of it just being comments, there'll be some sort of a little tag that that shows some little icon or something that shows this has been tagged by the Birdwatch people. <laughs> well, people, I should say, uh, progressives, liberals, have been have been reporting things they disagree with for a long time now, which is why you read from time to time some of your favorite conservative people on social media say, hey, I just got out of Twitter jail or I just got out of Facebook jail or something like that. And the reason was that something they posted was was reported as being as being transgressing as transgressing community guidelines. That's one of the things they like to say. You know, well, you, you, you violated our community vi- guidelines. And when you go look at their community guidelines, they're so vague that they can be interpreted any number of ways. So you really can't win. Well, they've been doing this for quite some time, just not officially. They've actually been listening to people. That's why if you, I don't know if this has happened to you. It's happened to me. It's had, happened to a, a lot of people where you get a notice that a certain post has been has been uh, uh, removed or blocked because it's been reported. I've had it happen to me a handful of times. And I can't find anything in the particular post, whether it be a video, whether it be um, uh, I love to I love to to repost memes and things like that. It could be something like that. It could be just something that I've I've typed out because it's on my mind. And from time to time I'll get a little notice saying I've 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 crossed the line and transgressed against the Twitter community or the Facebook community or whatever. And when I go to look at things, I can never find anything that uh, I, that isn't true. You may disagree with it, but you're disagreeing with something you just disagree with. Not, not, not It's not necessarily untrue. And it's happened to me, like I say, a handful of times and to others very often. Sometimes they disappear for weeks at a time from social media because they can't access it because they get locked out of their accounts for a while to punish you. Oh, no, no, you're being a bad child. We don't use those words here. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's, it's happening, but now Twitter is making it official. They're actually appointing people to do it. 
They're actually choosing people to do what the general public's been doing for quite some time. And are those people going to be fair and balanced? Are those people going to be, uh, I don't know, are they going to be um, objective? Are they going to honestly look at things from a neutral perspective? Or are they going to look at things from a perspective of leftism and progressivism? Here's a hint. That's how they're going to do it. If if something goes against the grain of what they believe from a leftist perspective, they'll flag it. This is exactly what's going to happen. We're watching this happen right now just in life in general as people refuse to accept absolute fact because their opinion differs from the absolute fact. And this is exactly what's going to happen with Twitter. You just watch. You watch what happens. Twitter is trying to stop random people from spreading misinformation now by letting other random people decide what misinformation actually is. Get ready. This is going to get weird. Just so you know, okay? (laughs) And even though he can't post on Twitter anymore, President Trump... President Trump is uh, is uh, still trying to make an impact, and that's a good thing. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of news lately about him forming another political party, and I told you the other day how I disagreed strongly with that because all that will do is split the vote, and we've seen it happen again and again. Do you, I don't know if you remember when Ross Perot got into the mix many moons ago. Ross Perot got into the mix during the Clinton years um, as a third party candidate. And a lot of people voted for Ross Perot. I had family who voted for Ross Perot because Ross Perot made good sense. And I sat there thinking, how can you, how can, he'll never get enough votes to win. All he'll do is suck votes away from the conservative side because he's talking like a conservative, even though he's not a conservative. How can you, how can you vote for this guy who's just going to split the vote and guarantee that the liberal is going to go into office? which is what, exactly what happened. He guaranteed Clinton a win. Well, if you, you, you have to apply the same standard when it comes to your conservative candidate. If that conservative candidate sets up a third party, decides to run as a third party candidate, just because of human nature, People are going to step into the booth and they will not vote for that third-party candidate because that third-party candidate doesn't represent the D or the R that they have always stood behind. You see what I'm saying? And I think you understand that. When it comes to politics, a lot of people treat politics a lot like team sports. They will always be faithful to their college team. It doesn't matter if they have sucked at what they do for decades decades they will always be faithful to their college team they'll always pull for them and they will complain about unfair refereeing they will complain about cheating they will complain about all manner of things even though their college team is awful that's how loyal they are to them and people treat politics much the same way they just go in and they they mark off pull the lever fill in the circle whatever for the d or the r they don't think They just stay faithful to one thing. And when you pull votes away, you endanger the solidity of the vote. Not a good thing. We'll talk more about this after the break. You're listening to The Daily Perspective Podcast.
It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. Thank you so much for being there. And I appreciate you subscribing, joining in for the fun. Um, let's see, we were talking about uh, third-party candidates and, and the like, and it all spins out of the Trump creating the office of the former president. And I'll get back into it'll it'll all fall together. Trust me. When I was talking about people treating politics like team sports, I was trying to get to the point that people don't think about who they vote for. So many people don't think about who they vote for. They just believe that their chosen political party is are the good guys and the other guys are the bad guys. And it doesn't matter who is running or what they represent or what they say or what they do. They're always going to vote for that particular party because that's who they've always voted for. That's who their family, their family's always been Democrat or Republican and the like. And because of that, that is actually so strong that it is what determines the outcomes of elections, regardless of, of the principles, regardless of the the platforms, regardless of the policies, regardless of anything which may be espoused by any candidate, what determines the election usually is that loyalty to the D or the R. And so within those confines, within that particular system, we have to be wise enough to understand that if you're going to change the direction of the country, you have to do it from within that system. Because if you try to do it from outside of that system, what you do is you attract a lot of people to you, but you won't attract enough people to win. And that's the point. And I've been told again and again and again and again over decades, well, that shouldn't matter to you. What business is it of yours? You shouldn't. It's my vote. It's my, it's my thinking. It's my responsibility. It's my, my freedom, my liberty, my privilege. I get to do this. I'm constitutionally protect I'm constitutionally protected it's me this is my decision not yours I am free to do what I choose I can't disagree with that I would just hope that you would be wise in your decision So if Trump had started the MAGA the MAGA party the the whatever they wanted to call it and we'll get to that but if he'd started that sure a lot of people would have followed him but I guarantee you not enough people would have followed him for him to win. Now, former President Donald Trump has opened an office of the former president. Did that yesterday. It seeks to advance the interests of the United States and carry on the agenda of his administration. A statement from the office in Palm Beach, Florida, uh, Palm Beach County, Florida, reads, Today, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, formally opened the office of the former president. The office will be responsible for managing President Trump's correspondence, public statements, appearances, and official activities to advance the interests of the United States to carry on and to carry on the agenda of the Trump administration through advocacy, organizing, and public activism. President Trump will always and forever be a champion for the American people. There have been many questions as to whether or how Trump would engage in politics after he left office. He made his first political move after leaving the White House on the 22nd when, in a phone call, he endorsed Kelly Ward, who was later reelected as the Arizona Republican Party chairwoman. Trump also released a statement late yesterday endorsing his former press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, in her campaign for the Arkansas governor's position. 
The announcement of the office of the former president comes shortly before the House of Representatives delivered a single impeachment charge to the Senate late Monday. The incitement of insurrection charge claims that Trump was responsible for inciting an insurrection that resulted in riots at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Just between you and me, that's a big stretch. They're going to have a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble making that stick. Unless they stack things somehow and cheat somehow. And with uh, Chief Justice John Roberts bowing out and saying he won't have anything to do with this, they've already got the first step handled. Mm -mm -mm. Now, there are people who are saying, well, this is awesome. He's doing what Obama did. He's doing what these other, he's doing, he's doing organizing. He's, he's actually going to get active and do something. Um, every president upon retirement sets up an office of former presidency in order to handle correspondence, in order to handle, you know, things like setting up a library and the like. It's, it's just part of the process after you step out of the position or are boosted from the position. And so, and so people who are praising the decision and people who are demonizing the decision on the left are ignorant of the fact that this always happens. And the fact that he is not setting up a third party is actually good news because this this Patriot Party, or I think it was the MAGA, yeah, the MAGA Patriot Party thing um, has nothing to do with him. It's been set up. People are, are flocking to it, but President Trump doesn't have anything to do with the, the MAGA Patriot Party. And I think, I think just between you and me, I think that all of the talk about him expressing interest in forming a third party is smokescreen. I think it's just him once again letting things slip to get people to chatter, to get them to talk, to get them focused on something that's not really happening, which is something he's done all through his presidency. He has floated things out there to get the to get the the news media preoccupied because they're so focused on the sensational. He'll, he'll slide something out there to get them to chatter and to focus and to chase a certain direction, and that direction is not what he's doing. So that's something that's something to keep in mind. Okay, something to keep in mind. Let's see. Um. I need to slide back up here and uh, I need to figure out where I left off because in this story from Epoch Times, epochtimes.com, um, there's some good information. The announcement of the office of former president comes shortly before the House of Representatives delivered that single impeachment charge to the Senate late yesterday. Um, though Trump left office on the 20th, Senate leaders are determined to press forward if convicted senators can then choose to disqualify the former president from ever holding office again. And I would suggest to you that that really is one of their goals. It's not the only goal, but it is one of their goals. They want to demonize him and and reinforce negative opinion of him with the uninformed as well as prevent him from ever running from office again. Some Democrats are also looking at using the Constitution's 14th Amendment to bar him from holding office. When Trump left Washington for Florida on the 20th, he told supporters he and his team would be back in some form. 
He said, we love you. We'll be back in some form. I'll always fight for you. I will always be watching. I will be listening. He later made remarks in a similar vein, saying that he'll make a comeback in some way. Quote, we'll do something, but not just yet. He said that to uh, Rob Crilly of the Washington Examiner on Friday and didn't elaborate. Former U.S. Ambassador to Germany Richard Grinnell said over the weekend that Trump had told him he wants to run for the presidency again. Grinnell told Newsmax, quote, he's told me personally multiple times that he does want to run again, so we'll see if that holds and how that comes about. I think we've got a long ways to go. Campaign advisor Jason Miller said earlier this month that Trump would be involved in the 2022 midterms, with the immediate focus being to help Republicans win back both chambers of Congress. It's unclear whether he would run for president in 2024. Miller also told the Epoch Times yesterday that Trump and his team don't have any affiliation with the newly found uh, foreign political committee called the MAGA Patriot Party, amid speculation that Trump would try to form a third party. So as I said, he's not doing that. And hopefully, I really do hope, he has seen how wrong that could be and how really it wouldn't result in a win. A lot of people would, would insist, yes, yes, he could. He's so popular. Look at his popularity. He could win as a third-party candidate. I don't think so. And the reason I've, I've already expounded upon that to a degree, but you have to also factor in the Republican Party. The, the never-Trumpers in the Republican Party, those staunch acolytes of the faith, who almost treat the Republican Party as a religion will do everything they can within their power, within their reach, and within their budget to prevent Donald Trump from ever, ever holding office again. They won't stand for him to be a Republican candidate, and they won't stand for him to be an independent candidate. They will once again, do everything they can to prevent his success. Something they have been doing for four years. They fought hard against him until he finally, he finally, in spite of them, was winning. He was succeeding. What he said he would do was working. And then those people shut up and got on board because when he was winning as a Republican, they were winning. And then they could use those wins as ammunition when they ran for re-election. They could attach themselves to everything that won when it came time for them to win again and stay in office. But when it came time and it looked like they could get rid of this man who was a colossal inconvenience for them, who was changing business as usual in Washington, D.C., who was draining the swamp so that we could see what was really going on under the surface of all that murky water. When, it came, when that opportunity came up to get rid of him, they jumped on it by being quiet, by not weighing in and saying what they needed to say, by stepping back and watching to see which way the wind would blow before they became involved. And so here we are. We have, we have establishment Republicans who will fight against him. We have the Democrat Party who will do anything, anything, literally. And I, I, there are no reservations, none. 
They will literally do anything to win. And then you have the people who insist on him being that third-party candidate because, well, look at what he did. He can win again. No, not as a third-party candidate. What he's got to do is he's got to stand behind people who will run as Republicans and use the Republican Party against itself. That's what he's got to do because they want to win. So the Republican Party will throw their financial support behind someone who is winning. And if that person wins and they happen to be a Trump type of candidate, then that candidate can make a difference and can make changes. And we'll see what those changes could possibly be. One of those changes could actually be a re- term limits. That would be a wonderful thing. That's another thing that I don't think is ever going to happen. But Ted Cruz has stepped up along with some others. For quite some time, millions of Americans have always been able to agree on a single idea, and that's imposing term limits on members of Congress to prevent them from making a decades-long lucrative congressional career in which they eventually stop working for us, the people. The difficult part in making that happen is that the very people who need term limits the most are the ones who would play a major role in actually making that happen. They shoot. Why, why shoot yourself in the foot? if you're getting filthy rich by working in the halls of Congress, right? But Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, he's kind of a different breed. It's clear he works for the people, has our best interest at heart. Very few missteps along the way, especially compared to a vast majority of his congressional counterparts. He's announced this week he's reintroducing term limits, a term limits amendment. It was already receiving widespread praise on social media. Will it work? Will it succeed? Will Ted Cruz manage to push this through in spite of all of those people he works with whose whose retirement completely depends on them staying in office for as long as possible to, to amass as much of a fortune as they possibly can? Will it happen? <laughs> ah, that remains to be seen. I, I don't see it happening, but we'll look at this. We'll wrap this up after the break and more as the Daily Perspective podcast continues for this Tuesday, the 26th of January, 2021. You're listening to the Daily Perspective podcast. Slipping into the final segment for this Tuesday. And uh, I want to wrap up about this uh, term limits amendment and then move forward with one more thing. Let's see. Uh, Cruz said in his statement, every year Congress spends billions of dollars on giveaways for the well-connected. Washington insiders get taxpayer money and members of Congress get reelected, all while the system fails the American people. It's no wonder the vast majority of Americans from every political stripe, Republicans, Democrats, Democrats, and independents overwhelmingly support congressional term limits. His idea of term limits seems quite fair for both American voters and members of Congress. It would limit U.S. senators to two six-year terms, and even better, it would limit lawmakers to three two-year terms. 
Can you imagine if we don't have to suffer through literally decades of somebody like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senator Chuck Schumer, or even Senator Mitch McConnell? Imagine having a body of Congress incentivized to do their very best within a set of term limits. This could literally change American government for the better overnight. And the founding fathers would, for the first time in a very long time, be proud of the system they built. As in no way, shape, or form did they intend on members of Congress making careers out of serving in the halls of Congress. (laughs) Wow. The rise of political careerism in today's Congress is a sharp departure from what the founders intended for our federal governing bodies. I've long called for this solution for the brokenness of Washington, D.C., and I'll continue fighting to hold career politicians accountable. As I've done in the past, I urge my colleagues to submit this constitutional amendment to the states for speedy ratification, says Ted Cruz. He was joined in his efforts by Republican Senators Mike Braun, Pat Toomey, Marco Rubio, Todd Young, and Rick Scott. We can hope. If the people of the states are wise enough to see the wisdom of this, hopefully things could turn for the better. But they won't as long as people stay in office into their 80s for decade upon decade upon decade. That needs to change. It was supposed to be a part-time job. You go, you serve. Actually, you go, you meet every six months or so, represent the people of your state, and then you come home and get back to business as usual. And eventually, you're through. And somebody else steps in and does what you did, representing the people back home. And you really are somebody from back home instead of living in Washington, D.C. That's the way it was supposed to be. Not how it is now. Okay, over at uh, American Spectator, spectator spectator.org, Scott McKay has an article called Determined Wreckers, and I want to share that with you. We've got uh, eh, about 10 minutes left here. He says, last week at my site, just after inauguration, an inauguration speech, Chris Wallace and the rest of the frauds and sycophants in the mainstream media applauded solely because membership in the D.C. Cocktail Club required it. I posted a historical perspective. I sifted through, I sifted the 20th and 21st century presidents into four categories. Positive change agents, uh, competent managers, determined wreckers, and abject bums. Feel free to check out the post to, to see where President Trump landed, but you won't find Joe Biden slotted in any of the categories, not yet. Biden has a record, of course, and his ideological professions, talent level, and mental acuity are known knowns. That he isn't a candidate for the first two categories is quite obvious, but is he an abject bum or a determined wrecker? It isn't that the answer is complicated, it's that there are two answers. We can see this pretty easily from checking the things spewing out of Biden's mouth against the executive orders micturating from his presidential pen. Biden prattles on about unity and recovery, and he almost seems sincere about it. In fact, if he wasn't so clearly a man incapable of honesty, one might even believe he seeks unity rather than obedience. Those executive orders, on the other hand, which represent the most violent lurch to the left in the first week of a presidential administration in U.S. history, don't reflect an abject bum administration. Jimmy Carter was an abject bum. So was Herbert Hoover. This is not that. As bumish as Biden certainly appears to be, this is the work of determined wreckers, with Biden as their puppet. So much so that if one were to prepare America to surrender its superpower status to China, something soon to be put to the test as the Chai-Coms bear their fangs in Taiwan's direction, 
it's difficult to understand what one would do differently. Taking Biden's Pearl, uh, take Biden's Pearl Harbor style assault on the energy industry. He didn't just kill the Keystone XL pipeline, which is the single most aggressive foreign policy provocation against Canada since Hampton marched on Montreal. Montreal. No less than three Canadian provincial premiers considered the Keystone XL shutdown as an act of war. He also shut down all oil drilling on federal lands for 60 days, which prompted the Ute Indians to a similar reaction to the Canadians. The assault on the domestic oil and gas industry is now estimated to place as many as one million jobs in jeopardy. This, amid a COVID-crippled economy, Biden expects to make worse as he attempts to induce even tighter federally sponsored economic lockdowns. What's the effect of this going to be? It isn't difficult to understand. Biden is yapping about decarbonizing the American economy, which is a destructive fantasy. There is no decarbonizing the American economy, at least not until someone cracks the code for cold nuclear fusion, and any attempt to do so will merely have the effect of destroying the the domestic energy industry. We all know what that means. It means relying on foreign oil. It also means paying top dollar for it. It means being dragged into more Middle East wars in which American interests are murky, if not not non-existent. It means turbocharging Vladimir Putin's treasury. As Russia takes over from the United States as the world's leading producer of oil and does so amid a global oil shortage and an inevitable price spike. It also means China's ongoing attempts to buy up third world oil fields with its state-run oil companies puts more control of the energy supply in the hands of hostile powers who will use that leverage against us. Of course, Biden isn't just acting to empower China in the oil and gas realm. He's also allowing them to insert themselves into our power grid. Yes, Biden suspended a Trump executive order signed last year that prohibits utilities serving critical U.S. infrastructure from using suspect hardware made in China. That move calls into serious question whether Chinese hardware might compromise the integrity of the power supply in the case of a conflict and whether it could be used to hack our power grid. Then there's the executive order destroying women's sports and inserting men into women's bathrooms. There's one re-yoking the United States to the Paris Agreement. Even though the American economy has met all of its benchmarks without the top-down economic control it envisions, a pretty obvious signal that the control, rather than the carbon emissions, was always the juice behind the Paris Agreement. There was the rescinding of the Trump Muslim ban, meaning we'll now be taking in refugees by the thousands from lawless hellholes like Sudan, Syria, Yemen, and Libya, in which no authority is available to vet to vet candidates for terrorist leanings. There was his mandate of mask wearing on federal property, which he himself violated several times in the first three days of his presidency. And there was this his throwing open of the southern border, something sure to reignite the chaos that had gripped the American Southwest before Trump put a stop to it, and all but certainly will turbocharge COVID infections from Texas to California. He's certainly not done. His cabinet choices indicate the people who control Joe Biden are wild-haired radicals, revolutionary Jacobins who despise this country as founded and are determined to wreck it in order to replace it with something of their own making. Crowding the National Guardsman, he called it to D.C. to protect him from imaginary assaults into billets in open-air parking garages and near-freezing weather reeks pretty decisively of contempt for ordinary Americans, does it not? 
and Team Biden's rescinding of Trump's 1776 commission is a gratuitous bit of historical vandalism that can't be dismissed as house cleaning. No more patriotic education for this regime. It's full-on cultural warfare against all of you white racists, even though even those of you who are um, less than white. An abject bum posing as a determined wrecker with advisors and functionaries to match gives us the worst of all possible worlds. I once had a conversation with a sage individual who told me something surprising. Faced with the choice among socialist candidates, he says, always choose the least competent one because his blunders will render render him ineffective to ruin your life. That doesn't specifically apply to Biden because his opponent in November was no socialist. But one would have thought the adult resident of the White House would take things slowly in order to give the American people a chance to acclimate ourselves to him. You know, the old saw about boiling the frog slowly so he doesn't jump out of the pot. But Biden, or more to the point, the people who control him, don't understand subtlety. They don't understand blowback. Or if they do, they welcome it because they think it'll justify the real war they want. That being the war they plan on waging against the American people, using those same troops they're parking in those cold garages as they wreck our society and economy and give socialism one last college try after they've rendered us poor, defenseless, and desperate. It won't go well for anybody. And that's the article by Scott McKay from over at spectator.org. Determined wreckers. And he says much of what I've been saying for a while now. And I believe he's right. There is rationale. There is, there is planning behind what's happening. And there's also, there are also telltale signs that the people behind what's been happening in the past week, just this week, you realize it's just been not even, not even a week since Inauguration Day that they've enacted so much stuff. He's signed so many executive actions, executive orders to do so many things that that are making so many changes that are leftist, hard leftist. It's obvious they don't care who thinks what. They're convinced that they're in power, they're in control, they're going to do what they want to do. Sound familiar? It should. That was essentially the motto of the Biden of the Obama years. Remember, elections have consequences. Translation: We won. Sit down and shut up. There is no bipartisanship. No true bipartisanship in Washington D.C. It's very rare. Very rare. Bipartisanship defined by the left is, we're in charge now. It's time for you to sit down and shut up while we do everything we want to do. You can't win. We control everything. And, by the way, you might want to pack your office because we're going to stack things so that you can never win again. And that is also happening. I suggest you go look up, what is that, HR1? I think it's HR1. Go look at it. In fact, there's a YouTube video, Tucker Carlson, in the first part of this YouTube video, 
Go look it up. In fact, just go to the Daily Perspective Facebook page. Go to the Gab page. Go to Twitter. Look up the Daily Perspective podcast, and you'll find that link. I put it up there earlier this morning. You need to watch that video and see what the Democrats are actually doing right now to America. He pulls no punches. He makes it very plain. One of the things in that in HR1 takes the choices about how elections are conducted away from the states and puts it in the hands of the federal governments. It's unconstitutional. It's illegal. And they know it. And they're going to push it anyway so that they will never lose another election. And on that frightening note, time to go. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the next edition of the Daily Perspective Podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.